We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, and you can find this on page 12 in your bulletin. Um, In this story that we're going to look at together, Jesus, he gives us a picture of this new community that he came to form. Um, You and I need community. Um, You cannot live this life alone. You are not meant to live this life in isolation from others. We need others. We need community. But it's also important that we listen to Jesus and we listen to his word and we let that shape our understanding of and our participation in this community that he's coming to form or that he came to form. So let's read this story. It's in Mark chapter 3. Verse 7 through 19, uh, uh, page 12 of your bulletin. Let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help before we look into his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. that you've not left us in the dark, but that you have given us a light unto our path, Um, your very word, uh, revealing who you are, revealing what you have done for us. And Father, our prayer this morning is that you would allow us to hear the good news of the gospel and to be changed by the good news of the gospel. Um, Because we need to be reminded week in and week out that we are far more broken than we could ever really imagine. Um, But because of Jesus, because of what He's done for us, we can also be at the same time far more loved and accepted and secure and approved of than we ever dared to dream was possible. And Father, we need that good news to change us, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Um, Most of us have had this experience where we're in a conversation or we're in the middle of doing something and we begin to feel like it just feels eerily 
familiar to us, like we've done this before, like we've said this before. Um, and we often call that feeling deja vu, um, which is a great uh, Creole restaurant in downtown Memphis if you ever get a chance. But um, anyway, deja vu is, uh, is a French phrase which means already seen, right? And I think that Mark wants us, in Mark chapter 3, he wants us to have that eerily familiar feeling when we read this passage, that feeling almost of deja vu, like we've been here before, and especially when we get to verse 13, when Jesus went up on a mountain and he called his 12 apostles to himself. Um, See, Mark wants us to recall the scene that Paul read for us earlier in Exodus chapter 19. Um, It's this other mountain, Mount Sinai, right? And in Exodus chapter 19, God called to Moses from the mountain, and he said this, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, and what? And brought you to myself, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And here's Jesus on this mountain, and he's calling, and he's bringing his people to himself, and he's setting them apart. And this time, it's not God assembling the 12 tribes of Israel, but another 12, right? The 12 apostles. And Mark, Mark is saying, this is God in the flesh, and he is now building a new Israel out of the old Israel. He's forming a new community. Now listen, to come to Jesus, like we sang, to come to Jesus is to come to and belong to and to be immersed in a new community, which we call the church. And I get that for some, that's a big problem for you with Christianity. Um, The church is a stumbling block for many. Um, And you may be especially unsure um, about wanting to be associated even with this community. And I'm going to try to speak to that by the time we get to the end. But let's at least begin to try and catch a vision for what Jesus is doing here and what he intends for this new community in this world, to be in this world, because we need it, because we can't do life alone. Uh, We need community. So there are three marks of this new community that I want us to talk about in this passage. Three marks of this new community. Companionship, Mission and authority. Companionship, mission, and authority. All right. First, this new community, we're told, is marked by companionship. Jesus brought all kinds of people together to do life together, to experience this really close, intimate connection of learning how to do life together. And in the early part of the passage, um, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on, there are all these people crowding around Jesus, and I, I really can't get into it much, but it wasn't so much that they wanted Jesus as they wanted to use Jesus to make their lives better, to heal their diseases and all those kind of things, right? And so Jesus ended up leaving that crowd, 
And going up this mountain in verse 13 to form this new community that was going to be marked by this companionship that we're talking about. And I want you to notice who Jesus pulls together in close companionship in this story. Because you see this list of apostles in verses 16 through 19. But I just want you to think about this group of people for a moment. Um, What's amazing are the kinds of people that Jesus says, now you're going to do life together. I mean, there's Simon Peter, the original rock, right? Um, Impulsive Peter, right? Always, just always ready to lead the charge and step out in front of everyone. And you throw Peter into the same group as hesitant, doubting, skeptical Thomas. I mean, that seems like some terrible matchmaking on Jesus' part. How are they going to get along at all? Right, and then you have James and John, who get this nickname, the Sons of Thunder, which is pretty impressive, right? But what are they doing in the same group as with Thaddeus? I mean, we, we know almost nothing about Thaddeus. He's only mentioned one other time in the whole Bible, just quietly there in the background. How do the, I mean, it just seems like a recipe for disaster putting all these people together. And to talk about a, a big recipe for disaster, there's Matthew, who's a former tax collector named Levi, right? Basically, to be a tax collector, I mean, Levi is a traitor to his own people, the Jewish people. Because he's working for the Roman government to collect their taxes to pay for the expansion of the Roman kingdom. And you put him into a small group set, small group Bible study with Simon the Zealot. And zealots were these strong Jewish nationalists, right? And they were conspiring and they were fighting against the Roman occupation. I mean, that is a crazy bunch of people to throw together in this new community. But here's here's the point that I want to make. If you balk at the idea of doing life with those people, whoever those people are for you, you aren't so much at odds with those people as you are at odds with Jesus himself. Because he came to form a community of deep companionship with people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of persuasions, all kinds of political differences, personality differences, class differences, and on and on. He's forming a new culture out of all cultures. So they would do life together and experience deep companionship. But how is that possible? Right? That's the question. How could a community in the first century be this inclusive? I mean, just today, you think, if you open the newspaper today or you get home and you, you turn on, uh, you know, one of the news networks or you flip through the news feed on your iPhone, the basic headline for today, like it's been every other day, is that nobody gets along with anybody. I mean, that's it. But Jesus brings together Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot in an afternoon. How is that possible? How does he do that? What's his secret? 
Jesus called those whom he desired, verse 13, but verse 14 tells us that he did it so that they might be with him, right? We're called into companionship with one another to do life together, no matter our differences, because together we are with Jesus and connected to him. Now, I know this passage says things throughout it that are unique to the apostles, and I I get that, and I'll have to mention it a couple more times. But the principle is that this community is that Jesus is forming, it is marked by this deep companionship with one another because we have companionship with Jesus, because we're with Jesus. And and if you think, if, if we only had Jesus like they did, then we might be able to pull it off. Um, you just got to turn back maybe one or two pages in your Bible to the end of Matthew where Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have him, right? We don't become this new community because of our similar preferences or backgrounds or similar likes or dislikes that we have. That's what you call a club. And Jesus didn't come to form a club. He came to form a church, a new community. And he did it by uniting this crazy group of people with all their differences to himself. To be connected to Jesus because of his grace, that turns you into a person who begins to move towards others who are not like you completely on the basis of grace in order to be a part of this new community marked by companionship. Years ago, I was in this um, small room, uh, conference room, and Sinclair Ferguson, theologian pastor, he was speaking. And I remember him telling this story about a day on the golf course. Um, And he said he and his boys were playing golf at their club one day, and he was several holes ahead of them on the golf course. And so he, he finished his round before they finished theirs. And it was getting late, and so he said he walked out onto the 18th green to see if he could get a, could see where his boys were on the golf course. Um, and so he said in the distance, he saw these two figures walking side by side to the 18th green. And this is what he said. I, I even wrote it down. He said, there they were silhouetted against the dying sun. And he did all this. He's Scottish, so it sounds a lot better when he did it. But um, there they were, silhouetted against the dying sun, and immediately I recognized their walk. And he said, I would recognize that walk anywhere. Those are my boys. From a distance, silhouetted by the sunset, but the way they walked together caused him to immediately recognize them. And I wonder, what does God see when he sees his church? Here in Memphis, or even here, Grace Community Church. Does he recognize a community that is marked by companionship with his son, and therefore companionship, deep companionship with one another? 
Does he recognize a diverse community marked by companionship and doing life together? Or does he see many individuals fighting over their own interests, their own agendas, grouped together by their likes and their dislikes and their personalities and their class? Now listen, I've got to move on, but listen, being a part of this community, it's more than being a part of a crowd and showing up on Sunday, and just being in the mix, right? It's experiencing deep companionship, even with people who are not like you at all. And if you want that, and you should, the answer isn't for you to beat yourself up and to shame yourself that you're not there, but it is to run into the arms of Jesus, to be with Him, and that will change how you are with others. It always does. All right, second, this new community, Jesus is telling us, is also marked by mission. Um, Excuse me. Um, Notice in verse 14, he called them and he appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, here again, I know there are some unique things to the apostles here, right, um, in, in this story. But this, in fact, is God's pattern for this new community. That he calls people to himself, and then he sends them out to proclaim the good news. This community is sent out on a mission to proclaim the gospel. And if this new community, if it fails to recognize its sent nature, if Grace Community Church fails to recognize its very sent nature, then it is going to atrophy. And it is going to become ineffective in this community and this world. We've been given a message of good news to proclaim. Jesus forms a new community, and that community is going to be his chosen instrument for gathering the nations to himself. All right, so what is this good news that we're meant to proclaim? I put a quote on the front of your bulletin from John Calvin. It comes from uh, a preface that he wrote for a French translation of the New Testament in 1534. Um, but let me, let me read a bit of it for you as he's talking about the gospel. He says, it follows that every good thing we could think or desire is to be found in this same Jesus Christ alone. For he was sold to buy us back captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made a curse for our blessing, a sin offering for our righteousness. He was marred that we may be made fair. He died for our life so that by him fury is made gentle, wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, despisal despised, debt canceled, force forced back, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, the abyss sunk into the abyss, hell transfixed, death dead, mortality made immortal, in short, mercy swallowed up all misery, and goodness all misfortune. See, our announcement and our proclamation is that God has broken into this world to redeem it through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. And if that's your message, and if you understand that you cannot hold on to it, you're compelled to move out, you're compelled to be sent to the nations and to proclaim it to fellow sinners just like you in order that they would receive grace, in order that they would be welcomed into companionship with Jesus and into companionship with this new community. 
But all of that is, is so much easier said than done. And I know that because our tendency is to withdraw from facing out in mission instead and turn inward into a holy kind of comfortable huddle that we have together. I mean, a community that opens itself up and a community that faces out in mission, it's terribly frightening, right? To move out with the gospel is for you to risk real rejection in this life. For you to move out with the gospel is to risk your reputation where you do life, in your work and in your neighborhood. To move out with the gospel is going to make you vulnerable. To move out is going to expose your insecurities. To move out is to invite potential criticism into your life, right? But instead of this community facing in, Jesus calls us to face out in mission to a dying, hurting, and broken world. So the question is, how could we possibly become that kind of community with all of this risk around us? Listen, only if you've been with Jesus and only if you've been brought all the way into His love and His acceptance and His security and only if you found everything you need in Him could we, could we stop being afraid? Only if you have all of that could you find the resources to move out towards brokenness, pain, and misery, and ruin. You know, just like the last point, it's being with Jesus that really sets us free to move out in mission. C.S. Lewis, in 1944, he gave a famous speech at the University of London. You can look it up online. It's called The Inner Ring. Um, And in that speech, Lewis said, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme age, old age, which is all of us, he says, one of the most dominant elements in life is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. He's saying, this is life. This is what this life looks like, right? Later, he calls this desire that he's talking about, this desire to get inside the inner ring, he calls it the great permanent mainspring of all human action. We're desperately trying to get inside. We're unable to face out to others because there's this terror in us of being left outside. And so Lewis, very insightfully in that speech, he comments this way. He says, until you conquer the fear of being an outsider an outsider you will remain. And the quest of the inner ring will break your hearts unless you break it first. So the question is, how do you break this inner ring? How do you break the ring? How do you conquer the fear of being an outsider if that's what you need to be, be able to face out? You come to Jesus who was sold to buy you back and captive to deliver you and condemned to absolve you. You come to Jesus and you find a mercy that swallowed up all misery, right? In short, you come to him by grace and by grace alone, not by your charm, not by your strength, not by your talent, your intellect, your race, your wealth or class. And that sets you free to move out in grace to anyone and everyone. You come to Jesus and you realize he was made an outsider in order to bring you all the way in. 
And when you see that grace, the inner ring is broken and the fear of being an outsider is conquered and you become free to be sent out on mission. Okay, third and finally, this new community, Jesus is telling us, is also marked by authority. So in verse 15, we see Jesus also gave these apostles authority to cast out demons. Again, something unique to the apostles here, okay? And we also need to avoid thinking, when you read the Bible, you need to not be thinking, you know, cast, exercising demons was just common practice, you know, every day in this world, because it wasn't. I mean, it just wasn't the case. But those qualifiers being true, one scholar writes that we should not ignore the real significance of, the, of this exorcism, because it marked the permanent hostility between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness. We aren't apostles, but this is a permanent hostility that exists between the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus has given his new, king, his new community, he has given them authority over this kingdom of darkness. All right, this point opens up a whole lot of questions I'm not going to be able to answer this morning. Uh, it'd take a long series of sermons to do it, but we need to think briefly, just for a moment, about the powers of the kingdom of darkness, which aren't at all accurately portrayed anywhere in our popular culture, right? Instead, here, here's how we need to think about it. As one author put it, and I can't remember who this author was, but this author said, the, these powers are both ex- external and connected to human and social realities. They lie beneath the things in our world. So what does that mean? In a very familiar passage in Matthew, Jesus very clearly names money as one of these powers. It's external, but it's connected to our human uh, and social realities, right? And so in that passage, Jesus calls money a power. He calls it a master, and he tells his followers, you can't serve both God and money. You know, I have a friend, and I, I love him, but he always joking, is jokingly saying, uh, you know, it's just money. But, but Jesus and the Bible are saying it's never just money. It really is never just money, right? It, it's also a power according to Jesus. I mean, let's think about something else, sexuality. You would have to go through life with earplugs in and blindfolds on not to see the deceptive power of sexuality in our culture, right? From every magazine, billboard, TV show, commercial, song on the radio, and discussion among your friends, right? It's there, the seductive power of sexuality that beckons to people. It's not just sex, it's a power, and it beckons to people that life and fulfillment and pleasure and intimacy can ultimately be found in sex. What what about greed? I mean, an incredible power that's motivating and moving people to sacrifice health and family, all in the pursuit to gain more and more. I mean, what about political power or just power itself, right? It, it finds its way onto this list too. I mean, you get to the top to have power, to have control, to call the shots, and it's alluring in its deception. And here is Jesus forming a community that both exists in hostility with the kingdom of darkness, but that also has been given authority over it. You know, in the last point, we said that we've been given this mission to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because God is at work revealing his kingdom 
in this world. He is at work through His new community that has authority to push back the kingdom of of darkness. Think about these powers that get connected to human and social realities like we were talking about, like money, sex, and greed, and power. And let me ask you just a few questions here. What would it look like if there was a community that had an entirely different approach to money? A community that was marked by radical, even painful generosity to serve other people and not themselves. What would, it look, uh, what would it look like if there was a community that had an entirely different approach to sexuality than what we see? A community that was marked by sex and never being used as a weapon for power or manipulation and never in self-centered ways but only ever enjoyed enjoyed in complete commitment and service. What would it look like if there was a community that was marked by grace and patience instead of pettiness and agenda? What would it look like if there was a community that was marked by real costly sacrificial leadership instead of manipulation and exploitation? I mean, we could go on and on, but I'm hoping you're getting the drift of where I'm going right now. A community like that would look like a community with the authority to push back the kingdom of darkness. It would look like a community that triumphs over the very things that enslave humanity. And listen, to be a part of that community would bring healing and wholeness to our lives, to our neighborhoods, to our communities, and to our city and beyond. This is the life we're called to live together, and not one of us can do this alone. We need each other in pursuit of this calling. I've had a a lot of friends um, over the years who were very hostile to to Christianity, Um, and sadly, some of my friends who seem to be the most hostile against Christianity grew up with a lot of experience in the church. Um, Some grew up in church, Some I know were officers in the church. Some had parents who were officers in church, and they went to every Sunday school, and they did all the VBSs, and and they did all of that stuff. They went to all the camps and everything. But time went by, and they grew in their hostility to Christianity, and eventually so many of these people just walked away from the faith. Now listen, why did they walk away? And I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, because I know people have unique stories, but In generalities, it wasn't so much because any of my friends had these great intellectual arguments against the existence of God. It's mainly because of what they saw in the church, that greed and power and sex and money and all kinds of other things were handled in the church just like they were handled anywhere else. Manipulation and cutting remarks and bitterness and impatience were just as prevalent in the church as they were anywhere else. And it looked like another club. It didn't look like a community that was formed by grace. You remember G.K. Chesterton, uh, apologist, artist guy? Uh, He wrote, the only strong argument against Christianity is Christians, right? We are called to be a unique community in this world. We are called and shaped by God's grace, Deep companionship, mission, and authority to live differently and triumph over the kingdom of darkness. How is it possible? 
I'm going to use the Apostle Paul's words here from Colossians 1, where he says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And then he writes this in Colossians 2, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that opposed us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We are set free for companionship with Jesus and one another. We're set free to be sent in mission. We're set free to create a counterculture with power over the powers and authorities of this world. And that's possible because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for Mark who recorded this story for us of Jesus calling the twelve to himself on the mountain. And um, we thank you for how instructive it is to us of this new community that he came to form, a community marked by companionship and mission and, um, and a community that has power to push back the kingdom of darkness in order that your kingdom of glory and grace would be revealed. Father, it's great for us to understand this, but we need your help. We need the power of your Spirit to take your word, to take the good news of the gospel, and write it deeply upon our hearts in order that we might be changed by it. And we pray that you would do that for our good and for your your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.